Welcome to episode five of the Heffel Huddle. And um, we're still in isolation, so this is still part of our isolation station mini series. Um, and today we've got Arthur joining us uh, from the team at Scotto Enterprise Park. Um, and Arthur is the customer manager there. Do you want to just talk us a bit through about your role there so I don't um, say yeah, something sure. that's completely false? <laughs> it's quite diverse, I suppose, but but as it could be sort of summarised, really. I kind of look after the tenants. Uh, Scotto Enterprise Park is a, a kind of big business park uh, on the former RAF Culture Shore base, and my role there is sort of uh, almost a, an on-site concierge sort of situation where I look after the tenants coming in um, and try and link them up to the business support um, that's available in the region. So um, it's quite varied, keeps me busy, certainly. And uh, how long has it been since you've been there? Uh, so I started in March of last year. So it's uh, just coming, well, just over a year. Yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Um, and I really enjoy it. And how's remote working going? Because obviously an old RAF base is enormous. Um, yes. So you've gone from uh, acres of space down to uh, your apartment or flat or... Morning room. Morning room, as we were <laughs> yeah, talking about a minute ago. <laughs> um, yes, I'm having to... I'm doing, taking it in stages. I'm going through each wing of my house on a week-to-week basis for change of scenery. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is, a, it is a real change. I mean... A lot of my job is very sort of on on site, going around and, and just making myself visible and trying to trying to be as available to to tenants and businesses as I can. So it's a real change actually to be uh, off site and not have that visibility and not have that face to face interaction. Um, so it's been really interesting trying to uh, do my job. It's been very sort of um, peaks and troughs in terms of uh, busyness. I think mm. in the in the beginning it was quite quiet. I think people thought I disappeared off the face of the earth, and you know maybe weren't sure where to go to get the support they would usually get or get the questions that they need answering answered. Um, so the first couple of weeks I think I was spent mostly just trying to make people aware that we were still there and we hadn't disappeared. And, you know mm. there, there was actually if anything probably more support available at the moment than there has been in the past. We were very keen to make sure that the businesses knew that obviously with COVID um sort of causing sort of not uh not inconsiderable kind of disruption that we were there to try and smooth that out as much as possible and i think once people realized that we were there and we were gonna uh sort of try and help them solve those issues then all of a sudden the floodgates opened um so that was uh, a real change almost overnight it went from sort of kicking my heels a little bit to completely swamped. Mm. Um, so how does, so I think we're in a week five of lockdown now. Oh, I used to know how many days it was. I can't. Yeah, it's, I've uh, lost count. Yeah, I've lost count. Um, I think we're in week five. <laughs> I don't know what of, day of the week. You will, yeah. <laughs> um, how has the way you communicate with tenants changed from week one, where you're kind of suddenly removed from site through to now, where I guess we're quite, we're actually quite settled into remote working. Mm. Um, I think it's become more of an accepted thing now. I think in the in the first instance, I seem to remember having the same conversation a lot of times, which was, oh, this COVID's a, a big deal, isn't it? Um, I wonder how this is going to affect us, um, which is what everyone was talking about, and, and rightly so. 
Um, I think the, the manner, whether the methods of communication have stayed largely the same. Uh, certainly a lot more of the tenants have got my personal mobile number than, than used to. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the, the manner of the, the manner of communication is the same, but the, the content is is different. I think people are starting to realise that actually kind of it, it's not I know it's not you know it's not a weekend, it's not a couple of days, it's it's gonna be a you know something that requires longer term thinking and longer term strategy. So what I have seen over the, the weeks is, I mean, there were some quite early adopters of people going, right, we need to we need to adapt and we need to change what we do. And they were doing it from the beginning and saying, okay, what, what can we do? You know, how can we how can we adapt to make the most out of this situation? Um, and there were people in the beginning sort of saying, oh, this is gonna this is gonna do real damage to our business. Um, a lot of those people are now, you know, having had long conversations and, and I think probably realised uh, just as time has gone on that the situation isn't necessarily going to resolve overnight as necessary. Um, and those businesses are now starting to go, okay, so what, you know, what markets are still, you know, operating? Where is there possibility for us to do some business? So... It's a challenge, but it's also quite exciting and quite encouraging to see that there are businesses that are kind of um, moving and, and flexing in a way that potentially they wouldn't have done were it not for, for COVID. Um, perhaps businesses that have been doing things or processing things a long, a long time in the same way are now realising that, you know, actually changing slightly maybe isn't as scary as, it, you know, as they thought or it's, you know, I don't know. It just—it's seeming like more of a, a necessary thing to do, and more people over time in the last few weeks, I think, have become accepting of that. Yeah, I think um, one thing that we've definitely seen is—is is it's almost like watching some businesses and people go through various stages of grief, almost mm. because you get the people who kind of move straight to the end point and they think long term. Okay, mm. if this goes on till twenty twenty one, say. Um, how are we going to cope with that? And then there are other people who are, who are just kind of holding on and like, if we can just survive three weeks, the lockdown will end. Obviously that didn't happen. And we're in the mm. middle of like round two um, for the UK. <clears throat> but um, it's interesting to see who reacts quickly and who doesn't react quickly. And then there are people now who are kind of moving towards, I guess, the stage of, okay, now we need to think about diversification or... How do we pivot what we're doing, or you know, any any anything like that? Absolutely, yeah. I, th I think it's a, I think it's uh, natural, and I think you're you're right. It is almost like the stages of grief. You see people uh, kind of in denial that it's that it's going to affect their business, or you know, and and it, as slowly as time goes on and things evolve, I think people reach the same conclusion. Just sometimes some people get to it quicker than others. Um, but it's really difficult. You know, it's, it's difficult because the landscape is changing all the time. It's not like the picture we see today is the same as the picture we were talking about weeks ago. <clears throat> every day new announcements come out. Every day the statistics are different. Every day the policy is different. So businesses are having to, to you know, it's a real challenge. Businesses are having to adapt to new information every day. And those it's not easy to make a long-term strategy when the, the field of play is changing on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so it's you know I mean hats off to the businesses that are doing that successfully. Um, 
because it is a real challenge. It's like trying to build a house on moving sand, isn't it? Because mm. everything changes yeah. so frequently. <clears throat> just just when you reach the point that you, you, you've got kind of a direction to move in, all it takes is one small change. And it can be positive change as well. So like when new funding schemes and things are announced, it's suddenly like, oh, we could apply for that and that could solve all our issues. Mm -hmm. um, but but even then, you're dependent. No, no, I think you're right. But I think even then it's people aren't, there's no certainty on terms of timescale because, the, you know, those grants, you know, okay, so how long do these grants take to actually reach? What's the application process? If I applied for this and I'm successful, when's it likely to be processed? Because I, you know, I really don't envy the people in the, you know, who are administering those grants because, you know, everyone under the sun wants to claim them immediately and wants, you know, and it's important to everyone. But there's only so much, you know, resource for, you know, getting these paid out and getting them processed and, you know, making sure the, you know, information's up to date. Yeah. So I think a lot of businesses are, you know, finding that it's taking a little bit of time to get through that you know, pile of grants, I would imagine. I, I don't have any sort of insider knowledge of that, but uh, I would imagine it's a there's a, a lot of people waiting for payouts on grants and applications and all that kind of stuff. And some businesses that I've spoken to have got their grants almost immediately. Yeah. You know, very little in the way of waiting. They, they got the notification, they got payment pretty quickly after that. There are other businesses that are sort of in limbo. Um, and it's a really difficult situation. Well, there is that um, statistic, isn't there, for like individuals, not businesses. A lot of people are only kind of one paycheck away from being homeless, almost, because so mm. many of us uh, live live month to month yeah. because of the way you know you live your life or what your pay is or anything like that. I think that's actually a lot more common in businesses than we may have thought before this, because you know we're not investors so we don't see that side of things yep. so it's mm. interesting it's interesting how some businesses suddenly it's like oh actually no they've got a lot of financial resilience built into the company and others don't yeah i think that's a fair point i think also these these sorts of situations are rare you know it's to what extent does a business or a country to that for that matter you know any any large sort of system of processes how you know, to what extent is it sensible to plan, uh, you know, where do you stop planning your contingencies? At what point is it, you know, if you if you heard businesses planning for, uh, you know, the apocalypse, you'd probably think they're a bit wacky. You know, we look at, you know, a, a few months ago, you'd watch Doomsday Preppers or something on telly and you go, oh, you know, show. these these eccentrics, you know, preparing for something that will never happen what's it been a couple of weeks and all of a sudden they're yeah. like oh, actually okay fair enough actually that's maybe not as, as as wacky as we thought it was but there is a line at some somewhere we don't know where it is but you know at what point does a business you know is is a business planning for this sort of eventuality really you know shrewd and clever and at what point is it maybe a little bit unnecessary and it, you can only really say that with the benefit of hindsight <laughs> you know no one no one saw this coming um, uh, I think there are businesses, like you say, that have got the inbuilt sort of financial resilience just as because they have, you know, they're prepared for an emergency of some description. They've got that, those checks and balances in place. They've got the sort of, um, you know, the financials under under wraps enough that, you know, they can they can take a bit of a hit. Um, 
but I think you're right. I think there is a lot of a bit a large portion of businesses that you know who, who's preparing for you know six months, a year of massive economic change or you know markets shifting, you know international economic crisis, and 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 to what extent is it possible, certainly for small businesses, to plan for that? It's difficult to predict the future, isn't it, Andy? It is difficult. It is. Yeah. Someone sent someone, someone quite someone, wise. Very wise man said. Yeah. Wise man said it's difficult to predict the future. But it's true. It's, um, it's like it's only clever. Yeah. It's only clever now that people are right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like you exactly. say, it's hindsight. Like you can, you could spend twenty years planning for something like this and being prepared for something like this, and it never happens. And it's not a waste of time because if it does happen, the impact is obviously enormous. It's a bit, um, I think for some people, it's a bit like Cold War era. Mm-hmm. Like it, we did, like when we first went into lockdown, people went very Cold War. Like we are going to have to eat beans out of a tin and live I on. I have done that. <laughs> Is that <laughs> per- we don't have personal do that. choice or? <laughs> uh, yep, yeah, carry on. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like everyone went into that, like doomsday preppers mode. Yeah. Yeah very quickly and then there'll be plenty of people who kind of live like that anyway and you know i imagine they were very smug for those first few weeks when they already had a garage full of beans and loo roll sure yeah no i think you're right and I, but i think it's it's that the it's the old sort of insurance dilemma isn't it of yeah, you know you can you can pay out for every insurance under the sun and it's only really a good deal if you claim on it um, I'm sure there'll mm. be plenty of insurance people listening. Think, well, <laughs> so we're taking issue with what I said there, but but to a certain extent, there, there's true. You could you can insure for every possible eventuality. Mm. Um, some insurance is better value than than others. It's a case of weighing up the the risk and the reward, isn't it? And I think although you want to have a probably a, a contingency for major emergencies in in any business sort of plan or any business strategy, you know, once once the that the scale of that you know, event exceeds a certain point, it's very difficult to, to sort of plan for that. Unless you're a doomsday program. Sure. Which, it, from the sounds of things, so, Sam is. That's Yeah, that's the lesson yeah. to take away from this. So, yeah. All those hours watching doomsday preppers on Dave have paid I, off actually, Sam. I've, I've, I haven't actually heard of that show, but it sounds... Uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> All of Sam's TVs are used for CCTV, so he doesn't actually watch anything on. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. It's, yeah. like, it's like a high security operation. Yeah. How else is he supposed to keep an eye on the compound? <laughs> <laughs> so how how it, how does working from home compare in week five to week one for you guys? What's have you changed anything? Have you learned anything? Have you got better at it or worse at it? <laughs> I think I've got better at it. Um, I think the first few weeks you're finding out what you find difficult and what you don't find difficult. And you assume certain things will be the problems and not others. And I think it's only after you start to encounter this. And so I had a bit of a a bit of a wobble after a few weeks where I was just like, you know, what's what's going on? Uh, yeah. how am I gonna how am I gonna manage this? Um, I've, I've found that habits become really important. Yep. So bad habits become the destructive nature of bad habits becomes more more impactful, um, and the the sort of 
curative power of good habits becomes all the more rele relevant. So I found that, you know, for, for a while I was sort of constantly in front of the screen when I was working, I was working all day, sat in the same room, and then I'd finish work and maybe watch a show on Netflix or, or play a game or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really exercising as much as I should have been and, and my diet sort of went out the window because it was all survival food in inverted commas and, beans. you know, well, I need, you know, I need to bulk up in case of, beans, you know, beans, beans. case of a survival situation. Um, but it's just sort of what's, <laughs> what's available, what's easy, what's quick. Um, yeah. I can tell you, you, having, all... you... You were having lots of ramen, weren't you? I think a lot of ramen. You were in a heavy ramen phase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I can tell you if, I mean, if anyone needs advice on this, I can say that having ramen two mm. plus meals a day, okay. ramen is delicious and it's convenient and it's cheap, but it's not good for you. <laughs> you, know, as, you know, it's it doesn't make you feel good. Uh, and I'm someone who really enjoys cooking as well. So Especially cooking uh, believe, ramen. Believe it, yeah, right. <laughs> But but no, like I find I find that that for me at least when I step back and I look at that for food is is a real indicator of my personal well being. So I feel like you, it's very difficult to um, it, it sort of reflects your state of mind if you like. You know, people who are you know in my experience at least when I'm feeling kind of down or low or you know out of sorts. I don't tend to make an effort. I don't put effort into cooking and spend time on creating something. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually often find that food reflects my own state of mind. I sort of looked at this kind of, I was just eating ramen. And I was like, yeah, it's convenient, it's quick, it's cheap, whatever. But actually it's just, it was just, it showed me that I don't think I was really paying enough attention to, to my own well-being. And uh, likewise with the whole exercise thing. So I just sort of started working on, a, you know, building a bit of a structure and, and building off good habits. And I think I mentioned the last time we spoke that I sort of got in the habit of making my bed religiously every morning. And by religiously, I mean regularly. I don't mean religiously. You mean piously. Um, yeah, I did, yeah. Although there was like a ceremony with like. Would be interested in that. Very interested. Um, a lot of candles. <laughs> a lot of candles. Yeah. That's a new um, series. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I found that to be a really therapeutic thing. And I thought, well, if I can do it with making my bed and I can do it with breakfast, I can do it with getting out for a run, I can do it with making meals. And I found that actually, because I can't get out, I need to lean more heavily on those positive habits. And mm. I found myself meal prepping for the next few days with just like homely, hearty food, stews and chicken and all that kind of stuff. And I found that taking that time to kind of look after myself mm. became my preoccupation, not just, uh, you know, whereas in your normal routine, you'd you'd be trying to find the time to fit these things in. Well, actually, if you make those things the things that you aspire to do, mm. you kind of kill two birds with one stone. You're taking care of yourself better anyway, and you're giving yourself something to do. I found that kind of, yeah, I was saving maybe half an hour by having ramen for dinner. And then I realized I had nothing to do with that half an hour anyway. So it was a pointless, fruitless task. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I, I found that kind of getting into the habits of, of really just focusing on taking care of myself has made the biggest difference for me. Mm. Um, 
I don't know about about you guys, but yeah, that's probably been the biggest realization of actually it's it's the small things that I valued, not the big things. Yeah, it's the same. I think sort of adding to what I said near the beginning of when we started this, um, actually making the most of being outside has mm-hmm. been really good. And obviously, we've had so we've had an we've had the allotment for two a couple of weeks now, and that's been great. Because it's actually, and that's something just to take, it's a nice distraction from mm. everything that's going on, as well as actually getting outside and, you know, not, like you said, I was also doing, and still do it a bit, but finishing work, looking at a screen all day, and then, yeah, going to watch Netflix or play a game or something. So actually having something else to do that's outside the house and actually getting away from all that for a bit has actually been really good. Um I think especially with something like an allotment as well, where it actually feeds back in yeah. elsewhere in your kind of life balance as well is is, yeah. is huge. Yeah. So for me, it's been running. For you, it's been the allotment. Like you know, I you know I, I used to run a lot. I used to really enjoy running. I kind of fell out with it years ago, and and as a result, I've sort of ballooned spectacularly. <laughs> um, so actually taking the opportunity to go, oh, you know, everyone's kind of under lockdown. I've got all the time in the world now to just focus on getting in, building these good habits. Mm. And I suppose you sort of make yourself the the project. Um, yeah. You know, I've made a conscious effort to to switch off screens and for the last couple of hours of the day, if possible, but at the very least, you know, spend the last hour, half hour just reading, mm. um, kind of unplugging. Um, and I found that just enormously beneficial apart from anything because it gives you a sense of control in an environment that feels so out of control yeah um you know when you can't control the big picture you have to start focusing in on the things that you can control um and i think that's on reflection probably the thing that i found the most positive out of this actually is that in the beginning everything felt out of control so i was just doing the most easy the simplest option the thing that I could do, the thing that I could, what I felt I could manage, you know, what was possible. And then I thought, well, actually, I've got all this time. I've got all this possibility to take control over this thing. And in the end, I think that's what has so far, it could all still blow up, I suppose. But so far has been incredibly positive for me. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I went, I was the opposite because I'm a sucker for trying to fit in as much stuff into a day as possible and then suddenly I don't have to get up as early yes. to be able to get to work for the same time. So suddenly it was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can like get up and I can do a workout at home. I can read during lunch. I can like practice piano after work and read some more and like do all this stuff. And I think my issue when we first started this compared to now was I tried to do like 12 things that were yep. less frequent habits every day. And I was like, mm-hmm trying to do too much mm. yeah and then like probably by about end of week two i was like losing the will to live i was like god is this all i'm going to do for the rest of my life which obviously isn't true but you know you feel like that yeah mm. so then i kind of eased off a bit and now it's fine so now i do some exercise when i finish work and then i'm not rushing it i'm not trying to squeeze it in before like eight o'clock or half eight yeah so like what i found with, and... with exercise funny you mentioned that actually is so i started trying to do it after work but I found that it had the similar problem of less of an issue now because it's, it's uh, lighter for longer. But mm-hmm. I found that I'd finished work. I'd been in my room all day. I hadn't been outside. 
and then I'd maybe do a workout after work or go for a run after work. And then by the time I'm finished, that's sort of it. It's then late and you kind of back up to work again. And what I found was quite beneficial is occasionally now I'll take a longer lunch because we've got sort of flexible working sort of possibilities. It's possible mm-hmm. to take an extra half hour, an extra hour at lunch, maybe start a little earlier, start a little later, yeah. uh, finish a little later. And actually allows you to have a proper break in the middle of the day, maybe go for a run in the middle of the day. Mm. And then I found when I finished work, I, my time was actually my own. I didn't feel like I had then the obligation to then go and do a, do yeah. a run or a workout. Yeah, got it. Actually, it's kind of by the time it, when, when 5 or 5.30 rolls around, that's it. The time's your own again. Yeah. I think there's an interesting relationship between, and this isn't, I don't think you have control over this. I think it just happens or doesn't. But there's a difference between the obligation to do the exercise and the the exercise is part of what I do. Mm, if that definitely. makes sense. So like I was very much before lockdown, I was very much in the that's my morning routine. Like I get up and I go to the gym. That's what I do in the mornings and that's fine. And then in in lockdown it was suddenly like, oh I have to do something at home. I can't do what I would normally do at the gym. Mm. So it became becomes like an obligation. And then there's you're right, if I was doing if I felt I had to work out after work and you lose an hour or however long in the evening Mm. to that, that'd be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's funny because again, I think we're almost the exact opposite there. So I used to feel like, Oh, come back from work. I'm doing it. I have to go and do a run. Oh, it's a real drag. I you know, I have to do it. Whereas now I've I've got the extra time it's something I actually look forward to and I, that I value in its in of itself. You know, it, you know, I think it often, and this is probably quite common with people who, you know, struggle or, you know, I mean, I, and I don't mind admitting, I mean, my weight varies and has varied by around four stone. Like I'm, I'm quite yeah, a big yeah. bloke, but my weight has varied by around four, four and a half stone over the years. So I'm not a stranger to putting on and losing weight. And I would say, you know, if, if, if anyone sort of, you know, trying to lose weight, that ability to enjoy exercise and have it something you look forward to for its own sake and not yeah. something that you feel like you yeah. have to do. You sit down and go, oh, God, I'm going to have to have to go for a run because I have to do it. Mm. It's just not the way to have it consistent. And, I know, you know, I know That's... after, you know, what, two weeks of these habits, I'm in no position to talk about consistency. But <laughs> actually the ability to go, oh, I can't wait to go for my run. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be really nice. It just makes it, like you say, part of what you do because you want to do it. It's part of the routine of the life that you want to lead sure. rather than an obligation that you sort of drag around behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Running's never something that, obviously, I did, I've been for a couple, but it's never been something I really enjoy. Yeah, what, I'm really, what I'm really missing at the minute is five-a-side every week. Oh, yeah, same. Because that was, you know, obviously exercise and, you know, running around and you know hard work at the end of the day mm. but it was fun yeah. and actually yeah, yeah. playing a game um rather than you know there's a there's a there's another there's another you know factor to it it's just running for there's running for running sabers yeah and i think also uh, there's, the, there's the competitiveness and yeah. the camaraderie of it is quite good fun it's the well. social aspect as well i'm like really missing like, and like the yeah. you know people were saying it in the group chat the other day like everyone just sort of like out of the blue i think it was nat yeah. just came out of nowhere it's just like i had a dream about five side last night and i'm just really really missing it and like everyone was just yeah, like oh, yeah 
Oh, I miss being really shit at football. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, tell me about it. That's 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 definitely it. Um, but also for me, like I, I find actually weirdly it's working as a motivator for me. So uh, to people listening who don't know, Sam and I play five a side in the same sort of group every week. It's um, a high level professional league, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a part of me that sort of think actually, as as Sam will, will attest, uh, I'm not known for my um, sort of work rate on the field. I think it's fair to say. Work rate is yeah, a very uh, technical term for. <laughs> yeah, in, industry is not, you know, does not fall in my set of footballing skills. I'm sort of, a, on, I fill the role of a static playmaker, I like to say. Um, I like that. Is that- is that a uh, position on football manager? I haven't yeah, heard of that one. No, Static definitely. playmaker. Static um, playmaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, for me, like part of the motivation of, of kind of trying to make some progress in other kind of goals in my life is actually being able to oh, actually be really nice to go back and play by the side and feel a lot fitter and, and, and be able yeah, to get yeah. more out of it. You just want to uh, make us all look bad. Uh, I don't need to help you look bad. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's self-inflicted. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you walked into that. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I need to remind you of a certain uh, left-footed volley into the top corner. Sure. Um, I would never bring that up. On, uh, no, never. On, Let's cut to a clip. Broadcast. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, I'm thinking about it now. But yeah, no, I, I think I think those are the things that you really miss. But yeah. I've found out I only tend to miss them when I think about them. Um but yeah, like you said, as soon as somebody brought it up in the group chat, I had a, a real sort of hankering. Emotional uh, yeah. yeah, real, real emotional moment. Because it is, like you say, it's it's that sense of competition that's really quite hard to replicate. You know, you, it's hard to replicate the, the feeling of going out with your mates all together, having a game, having a bit of competition, spanking a ball into the top right corner with your left foot past sure. a, a floundering goalkeeper. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, that really, sounds like a regular really, occurrence for you. It definitely yeah, really <laughs> yeah, so really ruining the goalkeeper's day, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just no real substitute for that in, in daily life. The closest I've got to that is playing Monopoly with Kelly. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. How, how does two-person Monopoly work? I feel like two-person Monopoly in lockdown is like a recipe for sort yeah. of... Oh, yeah, no, it works. It's just asking for trouble. It works. It's fine. I mean, Monopoly's a relationship destroyer at the best of times. <laughs> well, one of the one of the rules for leaving the house at the moment is you can go to a friend's house to stay for a while if you've had an argument. So, uh, so it's it's the Monopoly clause. Is yeah, that what that basically, is? that's basically what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It's a Monopoly <laughs> or Mario Kart clause. Yeah. Just, just that, severe yeah. arguments. <laughs> yeah. So I'm more of a crash team racing kind of guy. Yeah, we know. I must admit, I've. Uh... Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember uh, Elliot, um, who you know, uh, once beat me on Ruse Tubes, which is my favourite map, um, and it is a map that I pride myself on being very difficult to beat on. And uh, he beat me comprehensively on it, and I really lost my temper. I got really upset. Um, of course. Like I, I, yeah, I, I, and I don't really get angry ever. I've got, yeah, you know, I'm a reasonably sort of mild, sure. mild-tempered person, but for some reason this just really got to me. And uh, yeah, I don't was know. This, where I got sorry, to that. was it was this before lockdown? 
yeah. Oh, okay, not during. Right, yeah, sure. this was this was at work as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have a we have a switch in the break room. For anyone wondering, we do we do actually do some work. Um, so yeah, at lunchtime occasionally a game of Crash Team Racing has has happened. But... Followed by the occasional afternoon strop. Oh yeah, I mean, it, and it wasn't just the afternoon either. It was yeah. weeks. <laughs> still going on. Still going on. Actually, he still hasn't since. spoken to him yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's glad lockdown um, happened, and now he doesn't have to ever look at his face again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's, um, but I, I sort of miss those elements yeah. of you know silly competition for its own sake and. I think it's difficult because obviously, obviously, this is such a such a huge and important and you know scary situation, which is having real consequences in the world. And it's because it, you know you have to take those sorts of things seriously. The the side effect of that is we we lose a little bit of that silliness and that triviality, which can sometimes you know be the thing that makes your day is just a, a silly competition or yeah. a game or you know. And I think. You know, although I shouldn't, I'm not saying that we should take the situation lightly because obviously we shouldn't. Actually, it's I think it's important to keep those things for your own sanity in your own personal life to have those little elements of silliness or competition or whatever it is. Yeah, well, like a big part of of working in our team at least is that it's fun, mm. and and to suddenly not be in the same space makes that fun far more difficult. Yeah. And it's yeah, not because definitely. anyone's doing anything wrong. It's just because we're not in as much contact with each other. Because if we ever call anyone on Slack or anything, it's a very intentional call. You have to kind of go out of your way and, you know, hit the call button. Whereas in the office, you can mm-hmm. someone can say something and then you can have like a, a joke about yeah. something. And it's, it's yeah. like it, it, it definitely affects your mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's what's. That's what's like a weird. It's, it's that deliberate communication, isn't it? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're calling someone, you sort of have to have a reason to call someone. Yeah, yeah. What's the agenda for this call? Uh, I'm lonely. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, like it's really difficult to just call someone up and, and just to tell them a joke, or you know, it's not organic. <laughs> yeah, know, it's not organic at all. It feels very and, staged. Yeah, and, and you, like, I think we mentioned last time, you feel under under pressure to get to the point get to the you know why you know even though i, I suspect the person receiving the call is as happy to be receiving yeah. it as you are to be making yeah, it yeah. and we we've had a, we had some success although i must admit we've dropped off a bit with it we we, we operated a sort of social working um yeah some of our staff are on furlough now but we had a social working kind of time for, for a bit where you know it was just a call there was no obligation to speak if you didn't want to but it was just a time where you had an open open line so that people could just sort of chat a bit and work in the same way that you'd work in an open office where you can just mm. mention things if you want to. And I think that found felt quite nice, that, that kind of organic chat where there is no obligation to speak and you just leave the call open for an hour or two hours or whatever uh, and let people just work. And if they want to chat, they can. If they don't, yeah. they don't have to. That's something we talked yeah. about and it never really, really took off. So I think we need to put more of an effort into mm. yeah. trying. I mean, you tried, we tried it and it was, and it, it did work. It was quite nice. Yeah. You even have to put conscious effort into doing that, though. Obviously, once it's going, yeah. you can kind of settle into it. But the actual act of starting that process, yeah, you is... have to buy into it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. If you're in an office, even if you're in a bit of a stroppy mood, say you've just been thrashed at Crash Team Racing, for example. Yeah, weirdly sure. specific. It's, it's just it's an example off the top of your head. Just a random, random yeah. made-up fictional example. <laughs> um if 
you're in an office with people who are being sociable and you know it's actually quite hard to stay in a bad mood if you know you tend to couples to get drawn into other conversations stuff happens if you're just sat in your home on your own and you only ever really speak to people when you necessarily have to yeah. um, and it's not an instant message or whatever else you can just sit and stew in that mood for the whole day it's, yeah. it's quite possible and you know if you don't feel like picking up the phone you just won't pick up and call someone you can just email them or whatever instead so i think i think being in an office kind of almost submerges you and it immerses you in that sure. environment and if everyone else is having a good time everyone else is you know, it also makes it easier for them to pick up on the fact that you're not having a great time and try and sort of lift you back up. Mm. Whereas if somebody's having a crap time at home remotely, even if I directly message them and said, is everything okay? It's very easy for them to go, yeah, fine. And I've got no way of knowing whether they're just fobbing me off or, you know, they are actually fine. Yeah, there's the, you lose all the body language, don't you? Because... On a video call, mm. you're very self-conscious of the fact that you're on a video call, so your body language is very, it's much more Staged. controlled. Yeah. Whereas in the office, you know, you can look over and you can see someone and be like, they've not said anything in a while. They're like smashing away on their keyboard on something and they look frantic. And you can be like, something's wrong. But that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. when you're remote working, like you say. And then you don't know, it's a communication issue. And that's why it's interesting communicating through like written text all the time. Well, not all the time, but mm. majority of the time. Because... If I was to ask Sam how he is or whatever, he might be like, yeah, I'm fine. But he might be in the middle of doing something. Or mm. he might be like, not doing okay, but doesn't want to talk about it. And you've, I've got no idea which one of those it is. And also, I, I'm fine. could be, yeah, I'm fine. Or it could be, yeah, I'm fine. Well, it's different as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah, some people say they're fine all the time. And some people say they mm. always say that they're great. And then if they say fine, it's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's really difficult. I think it, it, it causes a lot of um there's a lot of work needed to offset that lack of extra sort of data communication data if you like no body language no yeah. unconscious there is no unconscious communication anymore when you're yeah. working remote or when you're working in an office someone can be silent and you can almost tell just from the way that they're breathing from the way that they're hunched over if they're looking frustrated if they're having a bad time and you can actually sort of do stuff about it, yeah. you know. Um, people take piss occasionally because they make a lot of lots of cups of tea. But cups of tea are kind of like... I miss your coffees, mate. Well, I'm glad. But they're, they're really good for kind of... Yeah. They give you an excuse to talk to somebody. If somebody feels like they're not having a great time, you can sort of say, look, do you want a cup of tea? And it kind of gives you... It's, it's almost like a... It's a way that you can kind of start that conversation. You can make yeah. them feel better. You can't do that remotely. Well, you can, but it'd be really cold by the time it got to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't really have the same impact. Sure. I wasn't um, sure if that was a metaphor at first, but it was literally... No, it was a really bad, bad joke. No, really no I liked bad. it. It's good. Really good. Um, um, there's this whole idea of, like like you said, the more of an effort and what I think, like, putting into communication. And obviously we have this sort of um, organised fun now don't we so obviously we've got these these quizzes that we're doing every week with the team organized fun really... just makes me feel so depressed but it is that though <laughs> yeah, no i'm not made, arguing with you like, but like just that to, phrase yeah, is really to, it has to be like that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um but that's been great 
obviously. Sometimes yeah. more organised than other times, though, isn't it, Andy? Sometimes, Sometimes people put more effort into organising it than others. If you're yeah, referring, was, if you're referring least... to a few weeks ago when I ran the most efficient quiz ever, I'm not going to apologise for that. Efficient's one way of putting it. <laughs> Bare bones. Bare bones. Yeah. Very short. Minimum yeah. effective dose. Minimum effort. Was. Could have been replicated by opening a, a ten pack of Christmas crackers and reading <laughs> the questions from each one. I will um, do that next time. Don't tempt me. Okay. <laughs> Let's not get bogged down. That's, <laughs> but that's been great. That's like yeah. that's always at a set time every every week, and yeah, I know yeah. something. Gives I've, you a bit I've, of routine, doesn't it? Yeah, and I look forward to it, even if yeah, you know. Yeah, even if you, sometimes people really sort of uh, really let you down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, after, but, Sam, yeah. after Sam made 130 slides, how was I ever going Right, gonna... okay, sure. <laughs> Sam's quiz was great. That was stressful. I had too, too many people. There was too many that people. Was just, that was just because of Chrissy leaving. There's not much I could have done about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, nothing. That was a good quiz, though, and it was a good send Thanks, mate. Um, and great Photoshop. Also, how many Very quizzes good. do you do now that we're in lockdown? I think I do at least one or a version of one every so day. That's so weird. Yeah, there's it's certainly become a thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love a quiz. I'm like an absolute freak for quizzes. So it's like... <laughs> Is that what it says on your me. Tinder profile? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Freak for quizzes. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, I actually applied for University Challenge once upon a time. And, uh, I can totally picture that. Yeah, I, mean, I was well into it. I actually got to, I think I got to the, like, the last stage of the selection and then oh. I got... I got knocked out because I had a hangover. And I wasn't clever enough, obviously. I'd love to sure. be able to dig out old footage of you on University Challenge. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I was hoping for. I'd like to... <laughs> well, I'd just love to, I'd love to sort of, I'd love to have some footage of me squirming upon, like, receiving some Paxman sass. Yeah, he does burn <laughs> people. Oh, he does. It's I reckon, great. I reckon you could give it back to him. I don't think I, I could. I think just I kick I mean, you out. I'm reasonably <laughs> sassy, but I'm not Paxman sassy. Sure. There's also he also manages to make it sound like like really difficult questions like yeah. you're an absolute mug for not knowing. Oh yeah. Yeah, like he will use that words that I've never very, heard very before. Very condescending. Uh, yeah. No, it's Henry the <laughs> Fourth. You twat. Yeah, pretty much. But, oh, of course, that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I do. I, I do so many quizzes now. It's just unreal, and I don't. I don't not enjoy them, but it's interesting that that's like that's like that's a kind of almost a phenomenon that's come out of isolation is what can we do remotely let's let's do quizzes and like very early on i think it may have been in the first week i was i there was that guy who's who set like an in an unofficial world record for the most amount of people doing a live quiz he had something <laughs> like two hundred thousand people watching him on facebook and, and youtube between the two amazing nice. it's like that, that that has become the new norm it's weird yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the things that, you know, it would be interesting to see if these, these things turn into lasting legacies. Yeah, it's true. For a lot of these, I mean, Stuart Wicks has been doing amazing stuff with, you know, his, I think he had the most viewed live stream not that long ago with yeah. one of his, um, with his morning workouts. Um, and um, it would be interesting to see how much of that stays on because yeah. I think a lot of it's been positive. You know, a lot of it is, you know, why don't we do, you know, why don't we have as a, as a country have sort of scheduled live events like this and uh, you know it's a you know it would be really interesting to see if we do hold on to any of them i don't know if we will but yeah. um there's a lot of that sort of stuff going around a lot of people making a lot of effort to 
you know, share stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has become... Or maybe this is just because of the people that we interact with, but I feel like everyone has become a lot more philanthropic. Like, everyone is... Not that people weren't before, but there's, I think there's been a definite in, increase in people who are willing to kind of give their time mm. f- freely I to think help that's, people. That's it. It's the nature. It's the time. It's pe- people want to share their expertise yeah. or what it is that they they've got, which is uh, think, in a way rather than just like conventional yeah. donating money and stuff. Well, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because before everyone and everywhere in the world would always say, "I don't have enough time to do X, Y, Z." But now we do actually have a lot more time. You can still fill it with things. You can still yeah. make yourself busy. Um, but it, I think it's interesting because it begs the question as people who are suddenly being more free with their time was the only thing that was stopping them doing that before time. And if that's true, then that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, and does does it reflect on our society? Does it suggest that we need to change something about the way... You know? That, that we work as a society, our working culture. Yeah, I've always does, thought that. Actually, though. society would be better. Would we be healthier? Would we? It's always been assumed that the harder you work, the more society has as a whole. Yeah, we're more yeah. productive as a society because we work loads. But actually, are we increasing our own demand for yeah. goods and services because we work harder? in yeah. a less efficient way if that makes sense and actually there's that i mean there's been loads of experiments and stuff done on shorter working weeks and things like that i mean i can say i've, I've worked in uh i've worked in an environment where i work 60 hour weeks give or take um i now work in an environment where we very rig we strictly work 40 hour weeks less than 40 hour yeah. weeks um and it's monitored and if you don't take your time off then you get told off um and honestly, I think I get much more done yeah. in the 40-hour week because I'm I'm always on it. And I've got the option, if I'm not on it, to say, I'm not on it right now. Do you mind if I take some flexi time and come yeah. back when I am on it? And the culture is, is conducive to that. It allows you to say, yeah, I can sit here in the office until five, but I'm not doing much. I'm just dithering and filling the time. So yeah. I can say I was in the building for this length of time. Yeah. And I found I've done that quite a lot when working from home. Is if I'm not on it, I've just said like, I'm, I'm going to use some flexi time, and I'm going to I'm going to work late mm. another day. So I, I think I worked till nine on Monday, writing out a webinar. I was just in the zone. Yeah, yeah. if you're in flow, you don't want to interrupt it, do you? By by not, you don't have to leave at five, but you know what I mean. You don't want to have that weird obligation. Yeah, it's, it seems really arbitrary to to just you know. You know, and there are some industries where it makes loads of sense. You know, if you're a retail or hospitality or something and it's about serving people at a given time, then fair enough. But if you're working on stuff which, you know, is project stuff or, you know, you've got a deadline, as long as it gets done, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's an element in my job of making myself available to tenants, but that's fine. You know, I, I kind of answer emails and take calls when I'm not working anyway, so that doesn't really bother me. Um, I think what's really interesting is actually looking at this from a whole society point of view and thinking well is society better are we happier are we healthier do we basically spend less money on inefficiencies um you know we look at what the nhs costs how much of those costs in the nhs are stress related or things that we do how much of the money that we spend you know on stuff is used to fill a gap that's created by unhealthy, you know, working practices. I don't know the answer to these. I'm just sort of speculating. It's interesting, though, isn't it? I know I 
I get more done and I feel healthier when I have, you know, more of a, you know, more of a work-life balance. I'm, you know, I feel yeah. like I'm operating at a higher level yeah. more of the time. Yeah. Like I've, I've, you know, I've always felt that we should be judged on the, we should be judged on the work that we produce, not the hours that we take to produce it. Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, and, and unless we're supremely inefficient, it's like, oh, you've done a really well, good yeah. piece of work. It took you a year, but I think you're right. I think essentially our outputs, our relative outputs, mm. you should be employed to do this piece of work. You know, if you're a, you know, if you're, I don't know, a plumber, you are employed to install a certain thing. There is an outcome that you are, you are expected to yeah. to create, and the amount of time that it takes you to do that. With you know within certain constraints, of course, there are deadlines, but yeah. to a certain extent, is is up to you. You could work solidly in one chunk until that whole job is done, or you could break it up in chunks, provided you're sort of within the deadlines and expectations and stuff you set out. You've got that flexibility, um, and I think it makes perfect sense for people to manage their working in the most effective way for them. Mm. Yeah, I wonder. The other thing is, is, is sustainability. What's what's yeah. what's what can you maintain over a period of time? You know, you, I've seen, I've worked in environments where you see people burn out. You know, employers sort of gleefully sort of getting sixty-hour work weeks out of people. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know people are always on the phone. They, oh, they go, oh, we get so many hours out of our staff, which is great until they all have a breakdown or they, you know, they can't carry on, or you realise the quality of the work they're doing is not very good. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, they've been here for 60 hours, but they've done nothing with that time. Yeah, well, that's where I think things like staff retention rates in businesses is always really interesting. Mm. If everyone works 80 hours a week um, and the staff retention rate is very high, then that suggests that something's going on to keep people there, whether they like the work they do and, and are happy to do it for 80 hour weeks or whatever, versus someone that does that and the turnover rate's really really high they you know they're, they're, the retention is low so they're losing a lot of people all the time and that tells you a lot about the way places are working and i think it would have been hard for places that operate like that to move to remote working when suddenly they can't track people because you get companies who you know you have your company laptop and they track if you're on it or not they track how many mm -hmm. hours a day you spend on it like i've had i've had friends before who have set up like very very sketchy rigs to move the mouse on their laptop <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly while they go out for like an, an, an extended lunch. But like, that's insane that people go to those lengths just because it's just but a really unhealthy yeah. working practice, isn't it? It, it has no trust on the part of the employer. And because, and, and I've worked in industries where I've been sort of surveilled in a similar way. Yeah. You know, I've worked in industries where every call I make is recorded, which is common. I, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah. don't say that's a bad thing, but then, you know, you know whether those calls have been logged perfectly as recorded how quickly in you know in minutes and seconds has it taken you to do x or y and actually i i feel like for me personally you know i i like to be able to manage my my own time manage my day yeah. and you know, it's not going to work for everyone in every role for sure but actually i feel like having somebody on my back and actually having to take time out of my day to justify why i've done things in a certain order and a lot of the times there's a good reason for doing something in a certain order and having to then a you've got someone to has, has to be watching and listening to all this data and interpreting it and saying oh so and so is not pulling their weight so that's a, you know a member of staff that you're having to employ yeah. to do that and then also the, the the people you're trying to get the most out of then have to also spend their time uh, um 
justifying their actions or, or what have you. And I think yeah. it seems like an incredibly resource intensive way to overcome problems that could be solved with, with good people management. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, if it's, you can trust your staff to get yeah. the outputs they want to give, um, and if if you can't trust your staff to give you the outputs that you want to give, then you need to solve that problem. Yeah, if you um, don't if you don't trust the people that you employed, what's going on? Yeah, and like I understand and, the need for data, which is really useful. Data is always useful, but then sometimes the way in which we get that data, it does it does two things. It demonstrates you don't trust people, and at the same time it fills someone's role with interpreting interpreting that data. So yeah. a manager's job, at least I feel, a manager's job is not to monitor the amount of work that people are doing. A manager's job is to support their team in their ability to do their work. And there's like a separation between that because one of which is waiting for information to come back to you passively almost. And then you decide if what they've done is good or not. And the other one is like trying to remove obstacles and encourage them and build them up and grow the team and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of the big difference in that is, do you trust them or not? I think if you, if you give people enough uh, hands off structure, i.e. deadlines um, and you say, you know, this is the quality of work I expect and this is when I expect it by, and I trust you to get it done. And I trust you to use your initiative and come, come to me or, or ask for help if you need, need help or if you're experiencing blockers and I will, you know, I'll be working to remove those obstacles for you. Yeah, that's how it should be working. It shouldn't, you know, if your manager is so busy with, um, you know, putting together data and trying to catch people out, almost. Yeah. You know, they can't possibly be removing those obstacles. Yeah. Um, and it just creates this weird oppositional um, structural, this this weird kind of adversarial hierarchy system. Yeah, because where... us and them doesn't it very quickly. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I've worked in that environment. I've, yeah, been in yeah. that, I've been in that environment, and it's such a toxic environment to be in. Um, and I've also been in an environment where you know you're trusted to get a job done. And, and the fact is, when somebody's pegging on you, you know you're required. You feel you know you're empowered, and you know I actually have to get this done because so and so is depending on me to get this done so they can do their thing. And if I don't get this done, it's going to reflect badly on me. It's not that somebody's going to log into my laptop and tell me how many hours yeah. I've been working and, and give me a hard time. It's just that I've got a responsibility to pull my weight. And if I don't, it's going to reflect badly on me. And, you know, then we're going to have to have a conversation because I haven't done what's expected of me. And I think that's the healthier way to have these 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 systems working yeah. is to have people actually invested and bought into the systems and, and, and wanting to get the positive outcomes at the end of it, because then you'll find that people actually do, you know, I, I will happily work overtime sort of, on, you know, quietly just sort of, oh, I'll just finish this up, you know, and, and not mention it because I, you know, I take pride in what I do. I, I want to do a good job and I want to be thought of as somebody who does a good job. You know, nobody's, you know, spying on how often I'm on my laptop as far as I know, um, or when I'm working. I am. Well, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> <laughs> and i i just think actually it's it, it's symptomatic of an unhealthy business culture yes. once you start going down that you start going down that road you can start investing as much as you'd like i mean the, some of the places i've worked have had you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of software that's designed to track what their their employees are doing and i get that you know it, it did a job and I, you know i'm not saying that that's wrong necessarily but you think Actually, if you invested in better managers or better training <clears throat> and you could create a culture where 
success is is the goal and, and, and working together and, and removing obstacles is what management's there for and the team feels bought in and the team feels like they want to get those outcomes themselves by hook or by crook even if it means working a little bit longer on occasion and they do it because they want to and they feel you know involved in, a, in the kind of group vision there's no substitute for that no. no amount of sort of snooping technology can can get you that Definitely, definitely. It'd be interesting. I'm interested to see how all this changes, if it changes, from going into lockdown and eventually coming out of it. Yeah. Whether that has an effect on any of that kind of more toxic culture that is prevalent in some businesses still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's almost an hour we've done there. Um, I think that's that's, oh, enough, uh, that's enough for today. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much indeed. I hope you've been enjoying um, Sam's various backgrounds on Microsoft Teams. I have, very much. I feel like I've gone very bland with mine. <laughs> yeah, you've um, just minimalist. Gone in... just minimalist. Yeah, mm. okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. I look like I'm in some sort of institution, actually. It does a bit, actually. Yeah, I'm yeah, so, well, for the people listening, I'm, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a white T-shirt and my room is all white. I look like I'm in some sort of cell. Yeah. Uh, the walls do look very padded. Yeah. Is that just bits of plywood lent up against... I don't know what it is. I don't know. It's, it's only tiny. And the, the closer my head gets to look at the small yeah. picture of myself in the corner, the yeah, bigger my head, want... the harder it gets. Yeah, the more terrifying it gets for us. Yeah, and my COVID-19 haircut is... <laughs> big potato. Yeah, it is a big potato. <laughs> and on that lovely note, I'm. Uh, 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 should we call that the uh, the end? Yeah, I think I describing mean, your head as a potato now. is brilliant. Place yeah, to I have to call that in now. Excellent. Talk about that for well, thank you. We'll have a short interval and then we'll move to the second <laughs> half. Uh, <laughs> All right. Lovely. Thanks, guys. Cheers. See you later.